Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Hey, buddy. Good afternoon, Scott Self. How are you today? I am okay. Uh, we are, at the time that this is uh, going out on our feed, um, uh, I, I should be homeless. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The, the house is supposed to, we're supposed to close on selling our house the day this um, this episode airs, and so I if just you're listening don't like to this, that at all. we haven't figured out where we're landing yet. But our house sold, and so we'll be. I'm not sure where we're landing, um, but I uh, I know we'll be launching. I feel like you're about to say, if you have a spare room or basement, would you please <laughs> drop a line to PO Box? <laughs> you know, yeah, I may be coming to your house, buddy. I may be. Oh, I, I know. Be, I may be needing morning lattes. Uh, locking the doors now. Note to self. <laughs> Note to Scott Self. Change my life. We've, we've got squatters. Uh, Cole, let's rehearse our three tenets. The that starts with um, sacred cows make great barbecue. That's right, and we proudly let our flags fly. And third, bros before politicos. That's right. We try to keep the kingdom perspective in line at all times as we talk about earthly things. Last episode, we began talking about our current crisis in the United States, a pandemic that we scarcely saw coming before it was upon us. And it, um, it affords us an opportunity to discuss the things we like to discuss, meaning um, to what degree should we rely on government to step in and take take charges and things and try to solve the problem to what degree on the other side do we think government should not step in and that we should let individuals and the private sector step in and offer solutions and this week's episode we're going to take up the other prong of of solutions and action which is the church people yes. of faith that's right. I mean, if you think about the, um, you know, whether the government should t- should take care of things or whether individuals or the market should take care of things, there's a third solution that's um, being shared out there, which is well, let's just rely on on God to take care of things. Let's trust God and let's trust God to, to make the best of things. And so um, I, I think that while I'm all about trusting God, I think what we mean by that needs to be carefully parsed <laughs> and uh and i think we need to unpack what we mean when we say trust god because um there are some significant consequences right now for the ways in which our theology manifests you know it's it's funny that up until very recently i've always thought of my theology as something that uh manifests in terms of my eternal life but doesn't have a, you know, necessarily a significant impact on um, the the life of other people, the living of other people, like whether other people live or die. And now it does. Now it does. And you know, theology can have um, significant impact, not just in terms of um, where my eternal soul ends up, but also what happens to other people around me. And, and, um, and I think we're seeing some evidence that we haven't thought through that sufficiently 
as Christians. I don't think that we've finished that conversation by any means. It's something that is presently necessary. I think you and I probably grew up in a time, and I'll let you speak for yourself, but grew up in a time where people discussed, you know, there's this earthly life, and then there's another life to come. And so really, your main job during this earthly life is to not mess up. And and that's true. Right? And that lends itself to a pretty conservative viewpoint, meaning conservative of action. Like if I just sit in the middle of my living room um, on a blanket and and I don't talk to anyone or see anyone or do anything, then I'll just die and that'll be it. But what you're saying now, I think is quite different. We actually have not just the capability, but the responsibility to try to positively affect those around us. Yeah, it's we're suddenly living in a place where your faith has uh, significant consequences for everyone else. And, and let me let me kind of uh, go ahead and start talking about what I mean, like. Um, in the state of Florida, there are several mega churches that have demanded that they get exemptions from this um, shelter-in-place orders uh, issued by the governor there in Florida because uh, they wish to gather and and have worship in their mega church. Um, that's not just about you, man. That's about all of us. And and I'm you're you know your eternal soul. Uh, is a concern. I get that. But you know what else is a concern is whether your neighbors get sick uh, and whether your vulnerable neighbors get sick and die. It can't just be about what your own rights are any longer. And, And I don't think that we've sufficiently prepared ourselves to have deeper conversations of how my exercise of faith my exercise of my First Amendment right to, not just to freedom of religion, but also my freedom of assembly, have dire consequences for the people around me. And if we're going to talk about Christian citizenship, that means we have to talk about it. Say, uh, before we started recording, you mentioned a contrast between the first century church and right now. So talk, talk through that again. Well, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that that um, I think is important to reflect upon is how the first century church did assemble, oftentimes in violation of the state law. This is one of the things that um, incites persecution for the early church uh, in the latter part of the first century was that, um, you know, by that point it was illegal in some instances, for the church to gather. And so we would gather in catacombs, you know, or in hidden places, surreptitiously, covertly, uh, and and maybe violate the state law for the sake of our own conscience. But I think referencing that part of our history in this moment is a false comparison or a false paradigm. Because in the first century, if I choose to go and worship uh, with my church family in the catacombs, the only consequence is whether I am punished or whether I experience 
the, the consequences. Here, uh, my neighbor might experience the consequences. If I go to assembly and um, I contract a virus, and then because I needed to go to the grocery store later that week, I pass it on to someone who takes it and then visits his uh, grandmother and she gets sick and dies, that's a very, very different consequence than whether I get directly persecuted, right? The, the, um, the, the order of magnitude in terms of consequences are much, much broader than um, self-contained set of risks. Right. So let's see. I want to see if I can, um, at least for a moment, assume the very best motives and try to defend what people might be thinking, which is, um, I need my church. I need to be together with my church, and our church needs to worship God. And the directive by the state for us to not gather does not supersede um, what we believe is our directive to regularly worship God. In other words, I, I want to try to go against or to um, overlook the claim that what they might be actually arguing isn't a very good argument and try to assume for a moment the very best of their motives. You know what I'm saying? I do. I think that's, an, I think that's important to do. Yeah. Okay, so... What then could we say to brothers and sisters of that motivation? In terms of the the benefit of the doubt or the best case scenario? Yes. What might we say other than, well, you can stay at home and worship, and that's the end of the argument. You know? I mean. Well, it's funny that um, Beverly and I were talking about this this morning. We're recording on a Sunday, and um, Cole and I belong to, and Beverly and I, belong to a um, religious tradition uh, that where we heard sermons growing up that the church building is not the church. We, you know, we don't call the, the assembly room where we have worship the sanctuary. In our tradition, we call it the auditorium because it's, right. that's all it is, right? And I don't know how many sermons I listened to that told me that the church is not the church. The church is the people, not the building, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's coming back up and resurfacing. Those old sermons that I heard growing up are resurfacing when I see churches uh, conduct their worship service from the church building. Uh, So one congregation I used to worship with is having their worship service from the auditorium uh, and streaming it from the auditorium because that's where church is done. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> and the irony of having to listen to all those sermons growing up about how this is the auditorium, not the sanctuary, and now when we can't assemble with one another, the preacher needs to stand up in a pulpit somewhere in front of an empty room uh, and stream live to the rest of us. Uh, you know, it it just, the irony is, is rich and thick and beautiful. It is. Uh, I agree. And I do think that there is, uh, and as I was as I was bringing this up with to Beverly, she said, "You know, uh, get over it." She was right. She said, "Get over it." Uh, some people find comfort in that that you know that they are connected to their church family and even the setting matters. And I think she's probably right um, because I think people probably are trying to find um, 
places of comfort, places of security. And, uh, you know, for me, my church family is a big part of that. I know it is for you too. And that feeling of the need to assemble beyond the, um, the sense of responsibility, but the deep and abiding need to fellowship and to worship with uh, our brothers and sisters, it should feel that way. It should feel imperative. It should feel like we're robbed of something when we can't do it. I remember my mom saying a couple of weeks ago when they first stopped worship at her congregation, she said, I, you know, she's, she was at tears. She said, I need my church family. She understood, but that doesn't mean that she stopped needing it, right? Right. And I've been trying to think about what it must have been like or what it could have been like if this were 1990 or 1980 even. Yeah. Uh, where there is no internet to speak of, for, at least not for public consumption, uh, and there's no Zoom, there's no Google Hangout. You literally, if you don't physically see or phone your church family, you don't have connection with them. And in a climate where we're told gatherings of 10 people is the maximum that you can even plan, you know, it would be quite a different um, kettle of fish. Yeah, and I and I, I think... Cole, that you're um, really hitting on something that is vitally important and something that I miss a lot of times when I wag my finger at other people is the um, the desire for many Christian folk to get together and worship is not the same thing as a bunch of spring breakers wanting to make sure they get their spring break. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, and, and it's... Uh, and I'm saying that because we've seen the videos of kids, you know, at spring break saying, well, I don't see no virus, so uh, we're going to go ahead and happen looking forward to my spring break all year. And that's stupid, right? The, the the desire to worship with your brothers and sisters is not stupid. And we should be very, very careful not to equate the desire to assemble in that context with um, with every other desire to assemble. Because... For many of us, this is more than just a desire. It's a need. It's a it's a need that's been formed by the community of Christ that we've been participating in. That's right. So let's step out for a moment to um, the perspective of a non-Christian who equates the spring breakers with the churches who are trying to hold assemblies and says of them equally, that's stupid. What? Let's talk about what what we feel is an appropriate response, not just appropriate, but a valuable, holy response of Christians during this pandemic beyond just church attendance? Well, um, I think, first of all, probably those people aren't, the people who think that, you know, wanting to go to church is stupid uh, aren't listening to the podcast, right? <laughs> That's not right. our audience. <laughs> so That's right. So I think instead... You know, um, our audience needs to think carefully about how we respond to that kind of language, and um, and whether whether that really is something that needs to be uh, defended. I, I'm coming back to the, in the last couple of weeks thinking about First Peter, where you know the author says, 
you know, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Yep. I think this is, is a it. real time. Yeah, I think this is a real time to think about what does that mean right now? What does that mean? Does that mean that uh, we thumb our noses at um, at the regulations? We thumb our noses because people don't understand this desire and this need that drives us to our places of worship. Do we thumb our noses at them and say, yeah, but I have a right, a First Amendment right to assembly. You don't, but I do, right? I have an exception. You don't have an exception. Um, stinks to be you, but I'm going to church. I think we need to be very careful and think about whether that actually fulfills uh, the author of First Peter's uh, warning that we live good lives among pagans, um, that we don't give reason, uh, we don't suffer for doing evil, but we suffer for doing good, <laughs> and and right. uh, and suffering for doing good might not mean going to to a church building or going to assembly. Suffering for doing good might mean that we put ourselves at risk to take care of people rather than to take care of ourselves, to take care of others rather than taking care of ourselves. There, there are ways to get worship done, um, and it would be different. It might not be the same. It might not be as comforting. It might not be. It might not satisfy all of our, you know, perceived needs. There are ways to get that done, but there are neighbors and loved ones and friends who are suffering and thinking about ways to take care of their suffering. Um, if we if we suffer for doing good, uh, then I think then we can, you know, we share in Christ's suffering. But if we suffer because we want to exercise our rights, I am, I, I at least want us to think very carefully about that stance before we um, before we sit on it and, and and feel justified. I've often heard you say, "We don't have rights as Christians. We we should cons." Constantly think of ourselves as people who are putting our our state rights on the back burner uh, and and giving them up for other for more noble reasons. That yeah, that's right. So the state may give me the right of freedom of speech, but that doesn't mean that Jesus gave me the right of freedom of speech. In fact, mm -hmm. Jesus took away my right of freedom of speech and has and has some very specific requirements for how I use my speech. Now, so right. so the Constitution gives me rights that Jesus doesn't give me, right? And I look, I I I think it's worthy uh, of our time and effort to ask whether, um, you know, the right to assembly is something that we as Christians should enjoy an exception from, uh, just because we have enjoyed that exception up and up until twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I think there's something that runs deeper in this too that that I think we probably need to drill into. And that is um, a kind of simple understanding of God's will and God's protection. I have always been suspicious of easy answers to questions. One of the things I've loved about all of the guests that we've had is we post stuff to them and inevitably they come back and say, yeah, uh, in fact, we have one episode called It's Complicated. Everything is complicated. It's never simple. And the truth of the matter is if you're going to get into just about anything, there's no simple explanation. There's no way, there's no simple explanation for why things are 
are, are growing as they are. It's not just because of the FDA testing kits. It's not just because of, uh, of Donald Trump's response. It's not just because of uh, uh, you know Chinese people eating snakes. It's it's not. There's not just one simple explanation for the 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 pandemic or the situation that we're in. And any simplified explanation uh, is not, it's not only too simple, it's too dangerous. I've been thinking a lot about this um, when I'm seeing stories of xenophobia, for example, of folks telling um, their, their Asian neighbors, go home and take your virus with you, as though the virus is somehow um, a Chinese people's fault or... <laughs> Uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah. it's absurd. That's crazy. If you right. think that way, you got to stop. If you're our audience and you think that way, you should repent. It's it's not fair. It's not right. It's not okay. It's wrong and it's a sin, and you should be you should be repentant of it. Um, but but one of the simple um platitudes that I keep hearing is, "Well, God will take care of us." Um, you know, I, I think it's worth our maybe time to reflect a bit on what happened to the apostles when they decided to maintain their allegiance to Christ after his resurrection. With the exception of the apostle John, it appears that he died of old age. The early church tradition is he died of old age. But all of the other apostles died martyrs. Um, you know, Jesus did not promise his apostles, you know, that everything was always going to be coming up roses. He did not promise that at all. He promised tribulation. He promised war. He promised pestilence. He promised disease. He promised that these things were going to be a part of what we experienced, that there would be no you know, heaven on earth, there would be no nirvana. Um, and his apostles directly experienced those consequences. Um, their faith did not mean that everything was working out for them all the time. This is one of the one of the dangers of the health and wealth gospel and its tradition in American um, American Christianity. God did not promise that you would be healthy. God did not promise that you would prosper. If you believe that, you're wrong, and you need to you need to read more uh, more of your scriptures than just uh, the prayer of Jabez. Let me just insert here. Uh, I think his apostles understood this uh, immediately, and the reason I say that is when when they came and told him that Lazarus had died, and he uh, waited a couple days and said, "Okay, we're going to go and attend to our friend Lazarus." Thomas said, "Well." Let's just go since so we can die with him. They were fully that's convinced that point. when he went back, wow, yeah. they were going to kill him. That's, that he had successfully exactly right. escaped, but now he was going back for some sentimental reason. And Thomas, who gets a bad rap in the New Testament, doesn't he? Thomas is yeah. saying, well, we might as well go and die with him. Not we're going to go and somehow be saved by this dome of safety, but we're going to go die with him. I think that is yeah. very touching. I do too. That's a great reminder. They even in even in the time of Jesus' ministry, some of them understood that this was 
This was the cost. And, you know, Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship talks about this a great deal, this difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Cheap grace is the kind of grace where everything works out for me. Um, costly grace is the kind of grace where one goes and sells uh, their field, uh, sells everything they have to, um, uh, you know, to get a hold of this pearl of great price, where we where we don't expect everything to work out to our advantage all of the time, right? You know, um, and and so coming back to this, God will take care of us. Um, I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. Uh, I live by that belief, but but I wash my hands. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. <laughs> I wash my hands, not because I don't trust God, but because I trust God about something deeper than whether I get the virus or not. Something right. deeper about whether I die or not. I trust God with my eternal soul. And then the virus is not my eternal soul. And that's something I can take care of right now. And I'll go wash my hands. Um, and so I think the easy platitude, God will take care of us, is again, it's something that up until recently has just been, well, you know, I don't agree with the way you're using that, but whatever, if that works for you, it works for now, your neighbor could potentially suffer the consequences of that point of view, right? And so mm-hmm. you're 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 not only saying that you believe God will take care of you, but that you believe God will take care of me when you get the virus and you pass it on to me. And if I have emphysema, well, that's just my problem. Right. Right. So I, I would I would think that one way that we could really interact with our neighbor is to just stop with the easy answers, especially if those easy answers are evil ones, like racist evil answers, like racist easy answers. But um, but also easy platitudes, I think, are not doing our neighbors any favors because they're afraid. You know, I I'm in a place of privilege. I know you don't necessarily like that word, but in this case, you probably will understand. I'm in a place of privilege because I kind of know where I'm going when this is all over with. I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against that day. I believe him. Uh, And so I don't want to get sick. I don't want to die. But that's not the worst thing that's ever going to happen to me. Yeah, you're reminding me that in the past six weeks or so, not even six weeks, in the past month, uh, I've been listening to sermons online. I've been checking in with my churches. We've been teaching some of our members about Zoom who've not ever logged on to any type of a, a program like that. Like I'm sure many of our listeners have, having virtual church that's still connected. Um, and the, the sermons I've heard, I have noted for their remarkable um, transparency of having messages like um, God told us that he would be with us, period. He did not tell us that we would not get sick, that we would not die of horrible things. I've heard another preacher who said, um, this is how much of the rest of the world lives with confusion and uncertainty about the near future. Not just whether I have enough money to buy groceries next month, but whether I'm going to yeah. escape a pandemic or live through horrible things. So the messages I've heard have been really 
reminding me of things along the lines that you're saying, which is that God's going to be with you, and that's the promise. That is the promise. And I also would, that's a great point. And I would also want to um, spend some time thinking about what, what is God's desire? What does God want? Um, I think that there are some in our country, some people who call themselves Christians in our country, who believe that what God wants is for us to all go to church on Easter Sunday, because apparently that's important to him. Apparently, that's his most important holiday, and the way you make God happy is you go to church on Easter Sunday. Um, and, you know, if you if you look at Isaiah chapter 1, uh, Isaiah, the you know that the the author is speaking at a time and to a to an assembly of people in Judah who are offering sacrifices at all the right times, celebrating all the right festivals at all the right times. Uh, but the prophet says, God says through the prophet, um, you your new moons, your festivals, your sacrifices. Who asked these of uh, of you? They become an abomination to me. They're a stench. I can't stand them any longer. And what I really desire is a religion that takes care of the widow and the orphan. This is not the only time God says something like that. It's pretty replete throughout the prophets. But part of what's interesting to me is you can almost imagine the interlocutor saying, what do you mean? You're the one that told us. And in the case of Israel, it's explicit that the law said that these specific uh, uh, sacrifices needed to happen on these uh, on these days, and they're following through on the agreement that they had with God. And in that case, they actually had specific rules uh, that uh, that they believed were offered by God, and they were following through on them. And yet, God's saying, "Who said I wanted these things?" <laughs> and and you can almost imagine them saying, "You did," but. <laughs> But what he wants is for is for it, Judah to take care of each other, to take care of people, and uh, and and the reason I'm bringing that up is I don't think God's uh, with, with his hand on his brow, sent, wondering. I sure hope to goodness everybody celebrates Easter. If I the God I understand from uh, from the prophets, the God I understand from the New Testament, the God I understand from Scripture, is not sitting up there with his hands ringing, wondering whether we're going to get around to having um, an Easter Sunday service or not. Um, But in fact, he's worried about whether whatever cognate of widows and orphans exist during COVID-19 are being helped or being ministered to. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And I think really, Scott, not to, I mean, we're talking about not simplifying things, but perhaps to simplify what we've been saying a little bit is it depends on really expanding the definition of what worship is. Sometimes yeah. worship means not going near your neighbor. Many times, <laughs> that's right? a great point. Yeah. Many times it means dropping off food and dropping off health supplies. Sometimes it means staying in your house. You know, it's it's funny that I'm an introvert. So this uh, this whole pandemic is my dream scenario. <laughs> I don't have to talk to anybody. Uh, I don't have to greet anybody in the in the lows. And um, Beverly is exactly the opposite. Beverly needs to talk to people. Beverly needs to hug people. Beverly needs to be around other people. And I have watched her over the past several weeks practice 
the um, sacrifice of um, staying in the house and the sacrifice of not hugging people and the sacrifice of being, you know, connected remotely. It's a sacrifice for her. And I admire her for making that sacrifice. It's easy for me. It's not a sacrifice, but for her it is. And I love the way you just said that. That is that is in and of itself an act of worship uh, and expanding what we understand about um, loving our neighbor and what loving our neighbor means in this moment or in this situation, I think is is really, really valuable. It can be yeah. liberating too, right? Right. And I have to say, people like Beverly, that's that's a really good point. You know, when you tell my colleagues and me who teach English and you tell a bunch of English major students, hey, you're going to have to stay indoors and try to stay away from people and just kind of, you know, be by yourself. We're thinking, <laughs> what books do I have on the shelf? And that sounds like a vacation, right? But yeah. but it's really hard for for some folks for those reasons. That's that's well said. Let's talk, Scott. Let me. I'm kind of watching the time here. I want us to get to some. Uh, can you re- think of some concrete things other than staying away from the public, which is a concrete thing? Can you think of some ways you've seen? Um, people in the name of God or churches in the name of Jesus uh, do some extraordinary things during this time? Yeah, that, I think that's a great a great thought. And obviously, I'm not the only one with ideas. I, I want to hear yours too. But um, I think you're onto something about how can we do this positively instead of just complaining about um, <laughs> you know all the things we can't do or what we shouldn't be doing, and and again, wagging our fingers. But I, I think if we can think constructively about what we can be doing, and I've, one of the first that I would bring up is uh, for those of us who are members of the way to understand that our neighbors are are suffering and um, and they probably need somebody to listen to them. I mean, even on social media. Um, you know, uh, it was, I was saying a few minutes ago, the that I don't I don't want to die, but whenever that happens, I kind of know where I'm going. My neighbor doesn't. My neighbor suffers and believes that, you know, um, if this is the last day, this is the last day. And beyond just giving platitudes about, well, you know, uh, God's with you. I mean, I think really listening to and and giving people room to grieve. Um, I think that's going to happen. You know, I, I said in our last episode that I've really been surprised at, at, pleasantly surprised at the way in which people have kind of rallied in at this point and figured out how to do this. But um, that's not going to be forever. And you're going to start p- seeing people really suffering. They're going to be suffering the loss of loved ones. They're going to be... it's. You know, it's one thing to be quarantined for three weeks. It's going to be another thing when it's three months and we've none of us got haircuts and we're tired of the kids. And, um, you know, when things get rougher, that's a real opportunity for us to just be uh, be the sounding board, to be accepting of people's grief and be accepting of people's struggle. And I'm reminded of John Mark Hicks, you know John Mark, don't you, uh, Cole? Yes. Uh, I was at a conference for ministers that he was speaking at. This is years and years ago. But uh, shortly after his um, child had died, 
And he was talking to us about how to minister to people in grief. And um, he really struck me between the eyes. And it was something I'll never, ever forget. He said, people don't need an explanation. They need a space to grieve. They need you to be that space. Um, We are so quick when people are suffering to try and provide some explanation or some platitude or some uh, way of being profound in their lives in a moment that will stick with them. And that is not at all what they need. Those things bounce off of people and and at worst they hurt. Uh, At best they bounce off. At worst they hurt terribly. They are very painful. But when we provide places for people to exist in pain and, and to suffer and say, you know, I'm sick and tired of my kids. And for, for me to be able to listen to that and say, man, I'm sorry, that, that's, that's painful. It's a, it's a service. It's a ministry. And Cole, I don't know if you remember this, but I told you, uh, the day I told you that um, my first marriage, when my first marriage dissolved, and I, I told you my marriage is ending. And the, the thing that Cole said back to me was, Scott, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for both of you. And that was it. And I thought, okay, I'm okay here. This is a safe place. Cole isn't going to preach at me. He's not going to try and make some stupid explanation. And it was so comforting, comforting. And that's that's one of the things we can provide is a comforting place to be, a comforting place to suffer. Um, and, you know, it's 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 cool if you can do that on Google Hangouts. It's cool if you can do that on Zoom. But you know what? Sometimes you're going to be able to do that in 140 characters or less as well. It's just to be say, be able to say, "I'm sorry, I'm I'm suffering with you," or you know, "I'm I'm hurting for you." And that is in and of itself enough to just give people places to grieve, because I think grief is coming. Don't you? I think I think we're I think we're preparing to. Um, to experience a lot of that in the coming coming weeks and months. Well, yes, and <clears throat> to answer part of my question, I I have a very good friend who is a nurse, and she has stories that are unbelievable. Well, that you would believe them because we've been paying attention, but things that involve uh, multiple siblings dying in the same hospital within days of each other. Oh. Yeah, and Ooh. nurses who are nurses who are the only contact because of the quarantine rules and it's taking a toll on nurses and it's giving Christian nurses um ways to build some ethos. They're not even trying, I don't think. They're not they're not trying to be sermons. They're just living. Yeah. That's a great and the, point. And the way they're trying to just take care of their patients both physically and emotionally and lend some spiritual guide. The nurses are, are in the, and not just nurses, but medical personnel, but I, my friend is a nurse. They are providing multivariant services right now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because you can't go hug them when they get nope. off of work, right? Nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> so, so how do you help? And, and I think another thing, um, uh, and I'm I'm really interested in some of your thoughts. But the other thing I would say is really uh, this, and I'm speaking to Christians in the public square right now. Um, uh, stop being angry. 
If you've been angry before, it's time to quit. Uh, I've been angry before too. I've been angry about a lot of things and I've said things in anger. Uh, I believed was righteous anger. The world does not need our righteous anger. This is not a time for us to uh, be blaming. Um, uh, I'm saying this as, I think if you've listened to 27, if this is this is episode 27, if you've listened to 27 episodes, you have a pretty good idea what I think of Donald Trump. It's not a good time for me to be angry with Donald Trump. It's time for me to put that away. I have to, I have to put it away, especially when I talk to my friends and neighbors who uh, love Donald Trump. You know what? They don't need to hear that right now. They don't need to hear what I think. They need to hear that I love them, not who I hate. They need to hear that I love them regardless of whatever's going on. Uh, And that means uh, breaking down every barrier, uh, laying low every mountain, filling in every valley and making wide and easy the the path to, to my heart and to my acceptance. And I don't think the world needs our indignation. I think the world needs our compassion. They need our humor. They need, uh, you know, moments of, of lightheartedness. They need, um, they need our tears. They need, uh, our forgiveness. They don't need our indignation or our analysis. (laughs) At some point, 2020 vision is going to be helpful, but this is not the point. Yeah. Right. Right. I think that's, that's funny. In the year 2020, we don't have 2020 vision. I we yeah we don't have. Um, this is not a good time for analysis. You, you know, Job. When Job is going through his suffering, he has three friends who are probably the worst case scenario when it comes to friends, because they keep offering um, analyses of what's going on in Job's suffering. Well, the reason Job you're suffering is because you've done this, that, or the other. You've made God unhappy one way or the other. And here are the solutions. And he's, you know, he, he's very, very upset because uh, nobody is, um, nobody's helping him. They're just accusing him. One of the things I think is interesting about the book of Job is God's response to the three friends. Um, there's a fourth friend that, uh, that does okay, and he's excused from God's wrath. But in the case of the other three, he won't even accept their sacrifice. <laughs> He'll only accept Job offering a sacrifice on their behalf. So they have to take their sacrifice to Job so that he can offer it because he, Job's the only one God will accept it from, which I think is very interesting. Um, they are really good at analyzing how um, this is all evidence of God's wrath against Job because he's really upset God, and that's why he's suffering. And uh, and when it's all said and done, God says, yeah, um, uh, fellas, Give your sacrifice to Job, and I'll accept it if he offers it on your behalf, because you were wrong. Uh, you were wrong to impugn my servant. Um, we have to be very, very careful not to analyze, not to, um, especially in very lazy ways, analyze. If people want access to the hope that you and I share, I think we need to be ready to offer that. Um, but even you know, even the um, the promise of eternal life, that can't be a simple solution. It can't be a simple solution. It needs to be a complex one, and it needs to be one that is handled carefully so that um, so that we're not communicating that you, uh, you know, if you belong to Jesus, then um, 
then you'll all of a sudden be immune to COVID nineteen. Or if you belong to Jesus, then uh, you know this this whole thing will will hit your family a lot lighter than it hits everyone else. Right. We need to be very careful as we even share the gospel that we're not making false, empty promises that just aren't true. We right. have a promise that is true, but it's not that one. That's right. You know. I don't know. What do you think? What are some concrete ways that you're thinking about? Kind of manifesting your 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 allegiance to Christ when you when you feel when you're stuck in the house. Well, I I'm thinking of some things I know about, and then some things that touch my own life. Which I'll let me speak about myself first. I have never been so micro focused on my own neighborhood as much as I am right now. Meaning. I have people walking down my street waving at me who I've never seen before. And I live in a neighborhood that only has about five or six streets. So that's kind of funny to me that we're all like, good afternoon, good evening, you know, and we're all staying at least six feet away from each other. But it's funny. And there's a family who works with me, works with you and me. I had no idea they lived in my neighborhood. And they even said, I didn't know you lived in this neighborhood. And I said, <laughs> but but we keep passing each other walking down the streets. And it's, yeah, that's, that's light. And it's kind of funny, but it is drawing the point I, I want to make that I am starting to really think about who lives in that house and who lives in that house that are right on my street. And have I seen them recently? Have I... Have I seen groceries being delivered to their house? Have I seen medicine or other cars or whatever? And I've started to really kind of zoom in on my own small world in in a way that I have not done in years that I've lived here. Also, I've seen, you know, I think, and Scott, you would know this about this more than I would, but I think at a time when the economy is tanking so hard because of any reason people who are on church payrolls get really nervous right yeah because yeah, if you can't afford food and medicine and shelter you're certainly not going to afford tithing in many cases people would that's just human behavior and what i have i personally have not seen the churches that i am involved with um, saying anything about that. Instead, what I've heard the p- churches I'm involved with saying are, hey, we're getting more calls from our neighborhoods about people whose rent is coming due and people who have utility bills that they can't pay for and people whose children no longer have school meals. So let's rethink our budget. Let's rethink our pantry um, that we have closed and join with another church down the road who also has uh, pantry and or other services. I've seen a real, um, some real concerted efforts toward thinking of the community first from the church's perspective of, of helping felt needs. Yeah. And I've been very impressed with, with the people I've seen that way. And I've all, this goes into some things I've seen where I don't know if the people are Christians, but, but, I've seen and read of and heard of a lot of people who have stopped producing what they normally produce and have turned to produce other things. Yeah. And I think I think it's 
it's absolutely possible that um, that's easier for some factories than others. But for example, here in Abilene, we have a company who makes boats. Yeah. And um, they, they announced a few weeks ago, or actually just a week ago from this recording, hey, we have figured out a way to make anti-splash masks. Yeah, and isn't that at, great? And on Friday of last week, Scott, on that one day, they made 500. Now, yeah. you could easily argue, well, no one's going to be buying boats, so what are they losing? And I don't think that's the point. No, they could be either. they could be furloughing their employees. Mm-hmm. They could be closing down and declaring bankruptcy. Uh, I, but they are doing that. There are people who uh, in distilleries who are making hand sanitizer. There, uh, and there are many other examples that our listeners have probably heard and read of people who are doing amazing things with equipment that has been repurposed. And again, I don't know how many of those people are Christians. But I will say it is an amazing thing that the private sector is doing. And I I do hear some Christian language sometimes mixed in with that. I know the My Pillow guy got pilloried for saying something about God when he was talking about repurposing his pillow and mattress manufacturers to make masks. Um, and so maybe people don't say much about that when they can. Um, I'm not sure. And I'll say one other quick thing. My mom, who doesn't listen to this podcast, um, I don't know if she knows about this podcast. She might listen to every episode if I told her. I don't know. But she lives in a neighborhood of other elderly folks. And the woman next door to her um, is a seamstress. And she began producing hundreds of personal masks that she both takes to a place downtown that uh, sells them for a nominal fee, and she also gives them away to anyone who walks up and says, I need them. So I think there are quite a few individuals doing things too. Um, and whether or not they are explicitly doing it for Christian reasons, they're doing it for private reasons, and I think there's love behind it. Well, um, I think you know. I think you hit on something that I think is really valuable. You don't have to be a Christian to be a loving person. It's just that I think knowing Christ uh, means that we become increasingly aware and we start to, I think, the, the the longer I've had a relationship with Christ, the more I've been aware of my neighbor, the more I've been aware of ways I can be more loving. And so um, I don't, but that doesn't mean that, that uh, it doesn't mean that Christians are the only ones who are figuring out how to how to love their neighbor. That's for that's for that's for sure. And I think the other thing I I want to highlight from what you've said is um let's talk a little bit about the virtue of gratitude. Um again, the world does not need our condemnation right now. The world needs our our virtues and and being thankful for what other people are doing. Regardless of who they are, just being thankful, I think, is a great way for us to be um, encouraging to the people around us. Um, it's it's easy to point out all the things that are wrong with the world, uh, and I remember, I remember um, it was a preacher I had to listen to for a while, 
and a family member said, oh, I like him because he always talks about current events. And I rolled my eyes when he said that because, yeah, he talked about current events every Sunday. He stood up there and complained about the way the world is. That's what he did. <laughs> um, and and uh, yeah, it, it was current events. It was about all the things that the Muslims are doing wrong or the, you know, he always had somebody to yell about. Right. That's not... Uh, that's not what the world needs from us right now. And I think taking some time to really practice, you know, I, I, I appreciate about this, to, about you all the time, but you just seem very grateful for every good thing that ever happens. <laughs> kind of like my mother-in-law who's no longer with us, but you know, she did that too, right? She's always so thankful for everything. Um, that's a, it's a virtue and it's something that we need to practice intentionally uh, for our neighbor's sake, not just for the gospel's sake, but for our neighbor's sake is to, um, is to be grateful for good wherever we see good happen and celebrate it wherever it happens. Hey, I'm glad to be compared to Polly. Yeah, I bet you are. I think there's a, there's a way in which we can exist in social media we can exist in our interactions in um, in public fora. That is it fora or forums? Uh, fora, I believe. Okay, I know that sounds weird. That, it does. Um, anyway, there are ways for us to, I think, practice our virtues in uh, even in social media that can be healing and can be uh, encouraging. But I, you know, I I think this is. This is not a time for our explanations. This is not a time for our anger. This is not a time for our indignation. And this is not a time for simplicity. Um, It's a time for us to really drill in and figure out what does it mean to love my neighbor? And even does me staying home from church become an expression of my love for my neighbor, which is super weird. It's super weird for us to think about.